So our scripture today is from Colossians chapter 1 and we're reading verses 9 to 17. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be here and back after two Sundays away. And a lot has happened in the last few weeks. And particularly in Christendom, a lot has taken place and happened in the last few weeks. In the last few weeks, we've watched a young man named Joshua Harris and another young man named Marty Sampson who were pillars who were men who were looked up to and seen as godly Christian examples of how to live. Both of them coming to a place where they have turned and renounced their faith. And it got me to thinking with these two Sundays that I have before we head back to the States, what do I want to say in light of that? What does God want to tell, not just his people who gather together on Sundays here at Fremantle Church, but also those who are wondering, am I one of God's people? One of those who are on the journey trying to figure out, is this somebody who is worthy to follow and see? Let me just start by quoting one of Marty Sampson's songs for you, and then reading a bit of a Instagram post that he had. The song was called One Thing, and it says, One thing I desire, one thing I seek, to gaze upon your beauty and your majesty. God of my salvation, lifter of my head, teach me how to live, O Lord, in your righteousness. So I pray to you, so I pray to you, Lord, your name is higher than the heavens. Lord, your name is higher than all created things, higher than hope, higher than dreams. The name of the Lord. In the day of trouble, you cover me in the secret place of refuge. Lord, I will sing. So I pray to you. So I pray to you. Lord, your name is higher than the heavens. Lord, your name is higher than all created things. Higher than hope. Higher than dreams. The name of the Lord. I will seek your face. Call upon your name, Jesus. All I want is you, Jesus. All I want of you is you, Jesus. All I want of you is Jesus. Now last week he sent out a post 
laying out why he didn't want Jesus anymore. And then he quickly deleted it and put a post up of all sorts of uh, uh, Christian apologetics, people who defend the faith. But just on Friday, he wrote a love letter to Hillsongs, the church that he was a part of, saying how much he loved Bobby and how much he loved Ryan and how much he loved their son and how much he loved the people. At the end, he said, I love all Christians. But then he said this, I'm not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not the I just believe it kind of truth. He went on to say this, I could go on, but I won't. And then he gave instructions to all his Instagram followers, how many ever there were. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good to others, absolutely. Some things are good no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall and the sun will come up tomorrow. Now the interesting thing about that is if you read those things that he's commanding his Instagram followers to do, is they all spring from the heart of God. They all spring from Jesus Christ. And as I was reading that, it just drew me to Colossians. It drew me to this place where Paul is speaking to this church and he's reminding them of who they are, who God has called them to be, but more than that, reminding them of who Jesus is. And so over the next two Sundays, we're going to dig into this little passage here in this beautiful letter. And we're going to unlock for ourselves, hopefully seeing the might and beauty and majesty of who Jesus is. So if you're here and you've been walking with Christ for a little bit and on this journey, let me just say to you that over the next two Sundays, this should be a reminder and a challenge to you of what we actually have, what possesses us and what we possess. And if you're here and over the next two weeks you decide to stay with us and you're trying to figure out what this Christian thing is, why do I keep getting dragged or attracted to church on Sunday mornings when I could be at a cafe having some excellent brunch or catching some waves out in the ocean or sleeping in, but you just for some reason end up here, hopefully you will hear God calling to you and reminding you of who you are and what he has for you. Because as tragic as it is to look back at Joshua Harris's life or to look at Marty Sampson's life, we don't know what's going on internally for them. I'm not friends with either one of them. Don't even follow them on Instagram. So I'm not even a fake friend of theirs. But what we do know is according to them, they've gotten to a place where all the things that they proclaimed, all the things that they sang about, all the things that they wrote to encourage other followers of Jesus, they have decided that that's not been enough for some reason. And so it's good for us to go back to the Word. And so where we're going to start is a place of reminder or a place of introduction. And it's right here as we begin in chapter 9. So again, if you are walking with Christ, this is a reminder to you. And if you are not, let this be an introduction so you can hear what God has done before the foundations of the world to come and seek you and pursue you in His steadfast, everlasting love to bring you into the kingdom of His Son. 
He says, and so from that day, we heard of you. We have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing of him, bearing fruit in every good and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's a reminder for us that we must be increasing in our knowledge of God, that we should never just sit idly by thinking we've got it figured out. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul's not telling us that things aren't going to be hard. He's not telling us that things aren't going to be difficult. He's not telling us that doubts might seep in. But he says that there's somebody bigger than you that will strengthen you to give you endurance in all joy. He says, we give thanks to the Father. Who? What? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Because why? He has delivered you from the dominion of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son that is Jesus Christ in whom you have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. And so that's our reminder of who we are or who you can be. That we can move from a place of despair to a place of hope. Where we can move of a place of anxiety, and I'm not talking medical and psychological anxiety there. I'm talking about life deep down. There is something that's going to break anxiety that moves us to a place of hope and patience. A place where we don't feel like we can go on to a place where we know that we can. Not because of our own strength, but because of God's strength. And he says, how does this make it possible? What is it that breaks that free for us? It is he, Jesus Christ, the son whose kingdom we are now a part of, who has delivered us and redeemed us from all of our brokenness to make us completely whole in him. That's who we are or who we can be. Then he says, and let me tell you about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Who is this Jesus, this one that it is all about? This is the Jesus that I would dare say Marty Sampson doesn't see anymore. When he says to the church, I, I was amazing to be one of you, but now I am not anymore. It is not because... Jesus changed. It is because he took his eyes off Jesus. But he is not alone. 
You see, when we hear these words about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, that in Jesus Christ, the manifest one, the one who is incarnate, we see all of who God is. That it is in him that we see God's steadfast love and his pursuit for us to bring us back into whole relationship with him and with ourselves and with all others in place. That it is in Jesus Christ that we see how God interacts with humanity, seeks for humanity, saves humanity. That it is in Jesus Christ that all the power that created the world by speaking it into existence, and not just the world, but universe after universe and galaxy after galaxy and all those things just by saying be and it was done, that it resided in Jesus Christ, the one who came to save us. And that in deciding how to reveal himself most clearly, it was through self-sacrifice and not through self-fulfillment. That it was not by saying, hey, I'm Jesus, you should worship me. But it was by saying, I'm Jesus, the Son of God, and I will die for you. But we do the same thing that Marty does. How? Well, I think one of the ways that we do this and we take our eyes off Jesus is that we familiarize Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, Maybe the great 80s and 90s band Depeche Mode put it best. We have our own personal Jesus. If you're too young for that song, you can go look it up on YouTube. And if you're too old for it, you can go look it up with your grandkids on YouTube. (laughs) If you know the song, try and get it out of your head while I finish this sermon. (laughs) We familiarize Jesus, we take this Jesus and we want him to look more and more like us. We take this God-man, this one who possesses all that is God, and we say, I can't quite grasp that, so you, could, you, could you look a little more like me? So God's enemies are my enemies, and God's ways are my ways. That if if God was really God, if Jesus was really Jesus, then he would care about the things that I care about. One of the things that Marty talked about was how faith was being pierced by science. And then he said, and nobody's talking about it. I don't know what church he's going to. Because I know that happens. But his point was, if Jesus understood science the way that I understood science, then I would believe in Jesus. You see, Jesus was no longer the image of the invisible God. Jesus was meant to be a reflection of who Marty was. If you cared about the things I cared about Jesus, then I would believe you. And we familiarize him. We make him look like ourselves. Where is it in your life that you've done that? Maybe it's in familiarizing Jesus, that's the reason why you don't like Jesus that much. Maybe you familiarized him so much to look like you, and you don't really care for yourself that much. But that's not who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is before all things, and in all things, they have their being in him. The second thing that we do is we fantasize Jesus. 
It's really less about making sure Jesus looks like us so that I can understand him. And it becomes much more of a Santa Claus Jesus. Here's the wish that I have. Here's the things that I hope for. That I'll know that you love me, Jesus, if you give me what I want. He's the great big genie. That if we rub the lamp correctly and we request correctly, then he'll provide for us what we need and what we desire. Enormous cosmic power, little bitty living space. That's what happens when we fantasize Jesus. We accept that he's big and he's massive and he's huge and he can do all things as long as it fits into the little box that I have for you. We so badly want to understand Him, but we also want the desires of our own hearts, that our own hearts that turn upon themselves over and over again and say, I'm King, I'm God, I am the one who sits on the throne. And Jesus says, no, I'm the image of the invisible God. I hold all things together. I'm the one who brings redemption and can move you into the kingdom of life. But too often we look at Jesus as just a way to get what we want. There's whole theologies built upon this. There's whole systems of belief that are like, if you pray hard enough and if you give hard enough and if you believe hard enough, then God will do this. Listen, that is false. That fantasizes Jesus. Because what Paul reminds us of here when he says... <laughs> that for and by him all things were created in heaven and earth, invisible or visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's saying there is nothing more powerful than him. And there is nothing who knows better how life should be. And so when we fantasize Jesus and believe that if we ask or pray in just the right way, if we live just the right type of life, then I will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Then when problems come, when we get the phone calls that we don't expect, when relationships fracture, then who do we blame? Genie Jesus, Santa Claus Jesus. Fantasize Jesus. And he's saying, no, hold on. I have you. I will hold you because all things were created in and for me. And I will bring it to the completion that it needs to be brought to that will bring God glory and will restore you to a place of wholeness. So we familiarize Jesus and then we fantasize Jesus. And last but not least, I think we minimize Jesus. We make him teeny Jesus. I got teeny Jesus sitting on my dashboard. Teeny Jesus is hanging around. I got a little pocket Jesus. I put him right here. I pull him out when I need him. He's not all-powerful. He's not almighty. He's not the thing that is and was and is to come. He's not the one who is making all things new like they always have, should have been and will return them to the place that God ordained before the foundation of the world. He's just the guy that helps me find a parking place. <laughs> 
We minimize Jesus and the impact that He has. Probably more often than not, the way that we do it is we just think it is impossible for God to forgive us. You don't know what I've done, Jesus. You're just too teeny to handle it. And God says, all things, every bit of who I am is revealed in this Jesus Christ. This one that I have sent into the world. I've undone it all. And I have brought it back to new. Stop putting me in your pocket. Let me reign in your heart. And love you. You know, it really is not something that's unusual for people who are high and lifted up as Christian leaders to fall. It happens all the time. Most just sin and sin again and sin again and maybe go start another church. They don't renounce their faith. But that's not that unusual either. I was looking back thinking about this and as I was reading about Marty, it reminded me of Charles Templeton. I don't know if you know who Charles Templeton is. He was Billy Graham's roommate in 1946 when they did their first European tour for Youth for Christ crusades. They were really great friends and they both spoke during those crusades proclaiming the might and power of who Jesus was. About two years after that, Charles Templeton decided that he was an agnostic. And as he continued to live his life, he became an atheist. In 1996, he wrote a book about that, a memoir about why he had become an atheist and walked away from his faith. It's an interesting read, and particularly what he says about Billy Graham. Because he tries to point out all the inconsistencies of faith, and Billy just looked at him and said, yeah, but God is God. That's a Lee Hinkle paraphrase of Billy Graham. I'm sure Billy would never say anything that untruth. <laughs> Lee Strobel wrote a book about the reason for faith, and in that book he interviewed Charles Templeton. And he asked Charles Templeton about his life and what he thought. I want to read you something that he said. He asked him this, How do you assess this Jesus? And it seemed like the next logical question Lee Strobel said, but I wasn't ready for the response that it evoked. Templeton's body language softened. It was as if he suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old and dear friend. His voice, which at times had displayed such a sharp and insistent edge, now took a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace, almost nostalgically, carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. He was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? Lee Strobel says, I was taken aback and said, you sound like you really care about him. Well, yes. He's the most important thing in my life, came the reply. I, 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 he stuttered, searching for the right words. 
I know it may sound strange, but I have to say, I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Yes, yes, and tough. Just look at Jesus. He uh, castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him in that way, but they don't read their Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and the exploited. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human being in history. There have been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. Uh, But no, he said slowly. He's the most, and he stopped and started again. In my view, he declared. He is the most important human being who has ever existed. And then that's when Templeton uttered the words that Lee Strobel said he never expected him to hear. And he said, and if I put it, if I may put it this way, said Templeton, I miss him. You see what has happened there in Templeton's heart, what happens in our heart on a consistent basis is we decide to familiarize ourselves so much with Jesus to make him look like us that we forget how holy and mighty and pure he is. And he has to be that in order to be the one that saves us and brings us from darkness to life, to light, from death to life. That we fantasize him and come up with some idea of what he will do for us as opposed to what he has done for us. That we minimize him and say everything good, everything pure, everything moral, everything ethical comes from this Jesus, the greatest human who ever lived. And Templeton says, I miss him. But here's the amazing thing. He missed me. It is in that greatness, in the one that possesses all who God is, in the one who is holy and mighty and just, the one who reigns supreme above any other things, who in fact holds all things together right now at this moment. He misses us. He said, I cannot live my life without having them in my life. I have to go and redeem them. And that's what he did. And so what do we say to Marty? What do we say to Josh? What would we have said to Mr. Templeton? What do we say to our own hearts? We repeat the words that Templeton said. Jesus is Jesus. He is the Jesus that we find here in Scripture. The Jesus that revealed himself as the God who saves. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good and all you do is good. We hold tight to you. Transform our hearts, break our places where we minimize you, where we fantasize you, where we turn you into ourselves by making you way too familiar to look exactly like who we are. Break our hearts and bring us to repentance. Father, if there are those who are here right now who don't know who you are, we ask that you will reveal yourself as the God who came. 
the God who pursues the God of steadfast love and who knows them more fully than they know themselves. Thank you, Father, for knowing us, for loving us, and bringing us into your kingdom. Jesus, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we respond to the